0: Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com.
1: Elliot, let's get to our next guest, a 16-time Gold Glove winner, a three-time All-Star, 283 career wins, baseball, former baseball player Jim Cott. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing fine, thank you. I'll tell you what, with 16 Gold Gloves, you can make a fortune at cash for gold. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they're all real gold. Huh?
1: You mean they're not?
0: I don't know. Not that I know of. I'll have to check that out.
1: <laughs> what do you think? What's going on with this World Series here between the Cardinals and the Rangers?
0: Well, it's kind of a nice nice to have a day off. I'm sure uh, Tony La Russa appreciated it with all the questions he had to answer. Of course, the the day off might have been worse for him because they it, it added to the questions, but. Uh, uh, you know, I think the bottom line, like he said, and I, I can understand that, when, uh, when you score a couple runs early and you have all kinds of chances to add on to it and you don't, it just seems like bad things happen. But, uh, you know, with that being said, I think, uh, you know, they made a wise choice in calling the game off, and I hope that the weather is good there in St. Louis and uh, we can see a good game tonight.
2: Is it fair to say that that was game five was one of LaRusse's worst? As far as managerial uh, difficulties, I mean, have you ever seen anything like the bullpen fo- telephone not working the, the way it supposedly did not work?
0: I've never, I've had, I've been uh, on teams where the bullpen phone, and in stadiums where the bullpen phone did not work, but uh, then you could see the bullpen and you had these. You know, the, you had these signs with your arms, like you, your arm way up, left arm way up high was uh, the tall left-hander, and if the guy was a little... I saw Ozzie Guillen do that with Bobby Jinks. You know, he made a big circle with his arms, and he wanted the big, heavy set, things, right. things like that. You had signs where... But with these modern stadiums, uh, you know, one of the last things they do, I guess, is consult baseball people uh and in, in Texas's case it's it's difficult to see uh with that screen up there exactly who is warming up you know normally that's kind of a that's kind of a safety net but that being said I'm still not sure if Tony isn't being a little protective of somebody that uh, that made a mistake somewhere along the line like he said we the fact that he repeatedly said, I don't throw my family under the bus, we don't throw each other under the bus, led me to believe that there was someone there who could have been thrown under the bus. I mean,
1: him <laughs> and, him and Dave Duncan have worked together since the early 80s with the White Sox, so you think they're on the same page?
0: Well, you'd think so. That's what I mean. I, it is it is bizarre. It's puzzling. I, uh, I did a blog this morning on... Uh, on the MLB, uh, which I do regularly on the MLB blog site, and it was a uh, I, this one was actually yesterday, I think about uh, uh, not today, about the bullpen, uh, about bullpen phone calls, because I used to play a game with our bullpen coach Dave Ricketts when I was with the '82 Cardinals. We won the World Series that year, and when the phone would ring, there were six of us down there, and when the phone would ring, I would call out the name of who it was going to be for. And I would say Whitey Herzog that year was so consistent with who the call was for, I, I don't know if I ever missed one. You know, if it was the eighth inning and in you start the eighth, it was Doug Bear If there was a couple of men on, they wanted a double play ball. If it was Jeff Lottie, a lefty, lefty, it was B. Then it was Souter on and on. And nowadays, I, I guess there are so many different options, but what the bullpen coach would usually do is repeat the name of the pitcher. And then, in this case, did Derek Lilliquist hang up too quickly before Tony said the word Mott? Uh, very bizarre, Very very hard to come up with what really happened, and maybe at some point uh, down the road, Tony will, if ever, really tell us what the true story is if we're not getting it now.
2: Well, you knew something was wrong when Lance Lynn, who was scheduled to have the day off, all of a sudden, comes in to issue an intentional walk. It, you know, that's that's not something that Tony normally would do. You, if you follow Tony La long enough, you have a pretty good idea. Just the way you described the car, the eighty two Cardinals with Whitey, who's coming in next? It it, it well, was no it was baffling. You know, and,
0: and just to support your point, what usually happens with the with the pitching coach, the manager, and the bullpen coach is that before the game, I know when Bruce Suter would get used quite a bit, uh, Whitey and Hub Kittle, uh, you know, Whitey would go to Hub or vice versa, and they'd say, now, Suter's off limits tonight. We're not using him under any circumstances. And then Dave Ricketts, the bullpen coach, knew that too, so that if it was the eighth inning and say, you know, in that case, Suter would sit on the bench so they wouldn't even be tempted to use him. He wouldn't be in the bullpen. Then Ricketts already knew that you know that guy was off-limits, and you would assume that that would have happened with, with Lynn. If he was off-limits, uh, I, I would have had him sit on the dugout bench, watch the game from there.
1: The game changed a lot during your career. I mean, you played during the term of, what, about five presidents. I mean, when you started, pitchers would pitch, complete games, go the whole way, and towards the end of your career, all of a sudden you had the specialists like the Bruce Suitors, the uh, Dan Quisenberrys, guys like that.
0: Well, yeah, that was just the nature of of, of the way the game evolved. Uh, yes, the, the relief pitchers when I first came up were primarily pitchers who were not quite um, the same caliber as starters, and, and that was a good motivating factor. I remember I had a situation in the early 60s, and my shoulder was a little tight, and i had sit to who I think our coach at that time was Gordon Maltzberger. I said we pitched every four days, and I said, you know, my shoulder's a little tight. I wonder uh, if it would be helpful if I had an extra day. You know, I'm only I'm like 22 years old. I don't I don't know any better. And and uh, he said, well, you know, that means it's going to throw off Pasquale and our other starters. So you know, we can start Lee Stang, but if he has a good game, we can't guarantee a. You know, that you're going to start the next start. Well, immediately my shoulder felt just <laughs> fine. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to, but that was the mentality then. And then I think it, it started a little bit with, uh, with Sparky in Cincinnati in the mid 70s. And then when he had Roger Craig, uh, a coach for him in in the 80s, though so he had good solid starters there in Morris Rosema and, uh, and Dan Petrie. But I think Tony, more than any other manager, uh, is responsible for uh, you know, the bullpen matchups to the degree that we see him. White, Whitey did a great job at 82. He told me, he said, I want you to be a lefty-lefty specialist. I selfishly kind of wanted to start. And uh, he said, I'm going to build my pitching staff from the ninth inning back. And I want to get the last three innings organized. And then if we have decent starters, which we did, we didn't have any you know, saw young candidates, but we had decent starters. But the goal was when we had the lead after six. Uh, we didn't lose very often, and I, you know, I think somewhere in that late 70s, early 80s, that trend began to start. And then, you know, Tony's taken it to the to the highest level, if you want to call it highest, in terms of really specializing uh, pitcher versus hitter.
2: Now, I. Th- I tend to think that it it's overdone, lefty, lefty, righty, righty. I I want the guy coming in out of the bullpen, who's going to get out the batter? I don't care if he's left-handed throwing to a righty and vice versa. But it seems like the managerial mind process is, okay, i got a left-handed batter coming up. I have to bring in this lefty it, rather than, okay, I'm going to build the best bullpen possible, even if it's all right-handed or all left-handed.
0: Well, that's true, and actually, we, you know, we are now, when Whitey told me, so you're going to be a lefty-lefty specialist, like uh, he had a guy named Steve Mingori in Kansas City when uh, when Quisenberry was the, the closer there in the late 70s. And so I immediately uh, began to work on the uh, side. I don't know if you remember Mike Myers a few years ago. He was a left-hand pitcher, pitched into his 40s. He was with the Tigers, the the, the uh, Yankees, the Red Sox, back and forth. And it was Al Kaline, actually, in Detroit that said, man, if you're going to face lefties, you ought to learn to sidearm, you know, pitch from kind of down under, because that's so tough for lefties. Well, that's all I did. So I was strictly a a lefty-lefty guy. But nowadays, with the circle change and and guys that might have a little screwball, uh, they are sometimes more effective, uh, lefties more effective against right-hand hitters and vice versa, and, of course, that's all part of a manager and pitching coach knowing their staff.
1: That 65 World Series with the Twins and Dodgers was something else. I mean, what was it like starting three games against Sandy Colfax? And, I mean, you got a victory. You won a complete game against them.
0: Well, I was fortunate there. I remember in those days we, we didn't have a lot of games on television. The only game on TV was, was the Saturday game with Dizzy Dean Wee Reese. And when that game was on, the rest of us were playing as well because everybody played at 1.30 on Saturday afternoon. There weren't any of these crazy 4 o'clock or night games or things like that. So I never uh, had seen Sandy Koufax pitch in person. I uh, saw him pitch uh, against the Yankees watching the game on uh, television in 63. And I remember telling Johnny Sane after uh, about three innings went by, I said, well, if I give up a run, this game's over. I mean, this guy was so far Head and shoulders above any pitcher we'd seen. He was literally unhittable, and we scratched uh, two runs, one of them unearned, off against him. And they had to take him out for a pinch hitter in the seventh inning. And uh, and I was fortunate to get a, a couple of runs. A couple of them I actually knocked in myself. So we won that game five to one. But we never got another run off of him. So it was uh, it was kind of a bittersweet experience. It was quite a. Quite a thrill seeing a guy uh, do what he did at, uh, at the major league level. And then, you know, the unfortunate thing was I drew him in all three games. You know, he didn't pitch game one because of the Jewish holiday. Don Drysdale pitched game one on Yam Kapoor. And Drysdale had a great line. He got knocked out. We knocked him around pretty good. Walter Alston came out to take the ball around the fourth inning. He looked at... Uh, Alston, he said, I bet you wish I was Jewish, don't you?
1: <laughs> You're absolutely right. I mean, this Sandy Kofix, he had the most dominating stretch, I think, ever during that short, basically, five- to seven-year period.
0: He really did. I mean, for durability, you can look at Lolich in, uh, in the 70s with the Tigers, maybe late 60s, early 70s, and, of course, Maddox had a nice run, but when you look at uh, innings, complete game, strikeout, walk ratio, wins—it'd uh, be pretty hard to duplicate what Sandy mm-hmm. did from '62 through '66.
2: Now, four-man rotation versus five-man rotation—will we ever see a four-man rotation again?
0: I'm afraid not. I think uh, I think the managers I know some have hinted at doing it, but I think um, you know I-, I tend to believe that agents have a big influence on how the game is run. And uh, if they start a four-man rotation and somebody comes up with a little tender arm or an injured arm or there's a guy that's a, a fifth starter that's good enough to start but he's in the bullpen, uh, you know, they're they're going to catch a lot of flack from the agents. Uh, unfortunately, uh, those that have experienced pitching on the fourth day and, and done it from the minor leagues on, uh, I think those of us can attest to how how much easier it is to be consistent with your uh, with your control. Your arm recovers uh, better. Every now and then, I can I can see giving a guy an extra day if he's had a stressful game. But it, it certainly is a better way to pitch, than it was for years, but uh, it isn't anymore, and I doubt if it ever
2: will be. Yeah, there's too much money involved. It's, it's you either have this young prospect whose arm you don't want to ruin because he's going to be cheap, or you have a high-priced veteran that if he goes on the disabled list, you know, there's a guy making you know, $10, $12 million. Well,
0: and the unfortunate thing is that it, it, you would hope that with the people in baseball that have had so much experience that they would understand that having another day's rest is not a prevention against injury. Uh, we see more Arm injuries today, I think, than we ever saw, and uh, and actually, the arm recovers. Uh, if they if they did the study from a, I guess I would say a physiology, a physiological or a kinesiology, point of view, the muscles recover in, in four days, in seventy two hours, and it just works out like clockwork. That every, you get in such a nice routine. Uh, pitching every four days, and that's you know that's why guys used to do it, and pitched a lot of complete games. And the pitchers today are certainly capable of doing that. It's just some organization has to go to the minor leagues and say we're gonna we're gonna start at our lowest minors and train our pitchers to do that. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever see that.
1: That you're not in the Hall of Fame? I don't understand. I mean, with 283 career runs, you're number 31 on the all-time win list. I mean, I think that you definitely belong, and I'm looking at the names behind you that are in Jim Palmer and some of these guys, and I'm going, you were a better pitcher than Jim Palmer was. And I think with Burt Blylevin going in, I think people are going to realize how great of a pitcher you were. And 16 gold gloves, you didn't just pitch, you fielded your position.
0: Well, I appreciate those, are, appreciate those are nice words, but Jim Palmer uh, was was a dominant uh, pitcher at a, at a perennial 20 game winner, and, and a big part of the Oriole, uh, you know, Oriole success that they had there. Uh, you know, I, I had a uh, a nice career over a long period of time, maybe comparable to, to Burt's. I didn't have the strikeouts and the shutouts, but when you look at uh, Palmer and Gibson and and maybe Fergie Jenkins and and uh, guys that. Maybe their win total wasn't as high as mine, but they were really dominant pitchers. I mean, look at Kofax. Kofax, he won 166 games, but gosh, he was you know he was so dominant for a short period of time. And I, I think that's one of the uh, prerequisites for Hall of Fame induction. Were you the best or one of the best at your position during that uh, particular period of time? And of course, Kofax was the best.
1: Thank you so much for your time, Jim. we got to get to our next guest, Bill Verdon, former manager. But we enjoyed talking to you, and good luck on your broadcasting and your blogging on the Major League Baseball Network.
0: Thanks very much. Say hi to Bill
1: Verdon for me. We will. That, take care. that was Jim Cott, former Cardinal. He played for everybody. Twins. Senators. White Sox. Senators. Yeah. He got around. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to have on former Major League Baseball manager and player Bill Verdon. Stay tuned.